You're listening to the Addiction Support Podcast, episode number two. Hi, Oak Creek Wellness family. Welcome to Addiction Support Podcast, where I talk with inspiring people who share their knowledge and experience of addiction and what's working for them. This is addiction support for family and friends from people who've been there. I'm your host, Melissa Sue Tucker. Encouraging, inspirational, and life-changing content that makes a difference. Created specifically for you by OakCreekWellness.com. Today I have Christina and Kevin here, and they're here, their husband and wife, and they're here to share their story with all of us. So can you guys tell us a little bit about yourselves? My name is Christina, and um, Kevin and I have been married a little over two years, and uh, we've... Uh, we've gone through quite a bit together, and uh, we've always known that we were meant to be together for a higher purpose than just the the worldly stuff. And um, pretty pretty uh, soon into our relationship, the the whole addiction thing began. So um, we've definitely learned and grown from it, and um, we're excited to share our story. My name's Kevin, and yeah, we've been married two years. Um, I've struggled with addiction um, for. Gosh, it's been about, I'd say, six, seven years, um, and uh, I've been sober about a year now, and yeah, I just want to give people hope and share our story, and we're excited to, to do this. I think that you guys are really brave and doing something that not a lot of people want to do. There seems to be a lot of shame and a lot of, um, you know, people don't always want to talk about this. So I really, really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story, both of your stories, because really it's it's more than one. Appreciate you guys doing that today. Um, Kevin, do you mind sharing with us what your addiction is? Yeah, you bet. Um, mostly uh, pharmaceuticals, um, just different prescriptions, uh, in particular Adderall, uh, Xanax, uh, painkillers were also a big factor. In my addiction, um, I didn't ever, luckily never got into street drugs, but addiction's addiction and, and it's, you know, all painkillers are pretty much heroin. So, um, you know, sometimes I think prescription drugs can be, they're just as bad and, and, um, you know, the, the effects are pretty much the same. They take away your, your freedom and, and, um, pretty much put you in bondage just like any other street drug would. So I know it's a common thing out there. Absolutely. And it seems to be growing. I was just talking to a chiropractor, my friend yesterday, and we were talking about how you don't even necessarily have to go to a psychiatrist anymore to get some of these drugs. Like you can go to your dentist and they're giving you oxy or, you know, you can go to your medical doctor, your, your family practitioner and get Xanax. It's a little nuts. Yeah, definitely. Very overprescribed for sure. (laughs) I agree. So tell us a little bit, um, you said that you've been addicted for about seven years. Tell us a little bit, how did this show up in your guys' relationship and how did it manifest into some of the darker moments? Um, for me, I, you know, I'll just give a brief background. When I was a kid, um, I actually took uh, Accutane for, you know, for my acne. I was about 16 years old. And shortly after getting off Accutane, I got super depressed. And I, I think this is somewhat of a common uh, thing with people is um, 
Accutane affects the liver. And, and anyways, I got super depressed and didn't really know, hadn't experienced depression, you know, up until that point in my life. And um, my parents didn't really know what to do. And they took me to a psychiatrist and uh, he put me on Prozac, which at the time, I think, you know, pretty much saved my life. I was, you know, almost, you know, getting towards, uh, you know, being suicidal. And um, so I got on Prozac and, and one of the things with Prozac is sometimes it can make you a little bit, um, uh, a little bit lazy, maybe is, is the word for it. Cause you kind of think everything's just fine and dandy. And I kind of quit doing my homework and it was just kind of, um, not really getting some things done I need to get done. And so my parents took me back to the psychiatrist and he, uh, prescribed me Adderall. And at the time I, I took it a couple times, but I didn't really like it. It made me too talkative and, and I, and I maybe didn't recognize the recreational use of it. I, I didn't really know that people, you know, could snort it or abuse it and, and get kind of a high off of it. So luckily, I didn't really use it too much in high school. Um, anyways, got to college and started um, drinking quite a bit, uh, smoking weed, that sort of thing. Um, wasn't doing pills quite yet, um, but about four years into my marriage, um, I started having some panic attacks and, and I had a, I actually had a prescription for Xanax at the time. Um, and I, I believe I also had a prescription for Adderall, um, which I used the Adderall. Um, I wasn't abusing it too much in the beginning. Um, but Adderall is kind of a tricky one. You build up a tolerance so quickly, um, that it becomes a point where you have to take more and more to kind of get the same effect. And, and then I also, uh, a friend showed me that you could snort it and kind of gives you a buzz, um, I think similar to, to cocaine, uh, cocaine um, or even meth if you take enough of it. I've never done cocaine or meth, but that's what I've heard. And so um, I had a prescription for Xanax, didn't really like the way it made me feel, but when I started having major anxiety and panic attacks, um, it definitely calmed me down. And so I, I was kind of using it as prescribed or as needed, I would say. And I was actually just trading uh, my Xanax to a friend that I would get weed from. Um, and so, but anyways, the Xanax, you also build up a tolerance very quickly. Um, it's a real nasty one and started using that. And so I started using the Adderall and the Xanax quite regularly. I was snorting them. Um, and then I got in a car accident and um, started, uh, I got a prescription for, I believe it was Vicodin or Percocet, something like that. And I just fell in love. Um, for me, that was definitely my, my drug of choice um, and very, very addictive, obviously. And so I just got in this nasty cycle of just using too much of my Adderall and Xanax, running out of my prescription. And then, so I, I kind of had my prescription spaced out so that when I ran out of Xanax or Adderall, I would have the painkillers or vice versa. And so it really became a game of going to my doctor, you know, several days earlier than I needed to, um, because most of them will allow you to come in sometimes maybe a week in advance before your prescription runs out. And if you time it right with the, uh, the pharmacies, um, you can get them filled a little bit early. And so kind of got into a cycle of that. And when I didn't have my prescription, um, I, my same friend that I got weed from, I started purchasing um, Adderall and Xanax from him and, and painkillers. And so that really became the predominant um, 
substance in my life was was the painkillers. That was the main. The other stuff um, I used quite a bit, but uh, definitely the painkillers was the one that got me. Um, at least that's what really got me into my full-blown addiction. Just, uh, you know, that's when the craziness started for me. Um, and so I actually went through a divorce about three years ago and um, uh, met Christina, uh, went to a rehab facility, a 30-day facility in California called Claire Foundation. Um, it used to be a free, or it was like a $500 entry fee or something like that. It was um, state subsidized or whatever. Um, but now I believe it's maybe 3000 which is still pretty uh, inexpensive. And that's even if you're from any other state other, other than California. Um, so I would recommend that place. Um, and so I went to Clara Foundation, went for 30 days, uh, came back, um, was staying sober, doing really well, met Christina. And we started dating and a few months into our relationship, um, I started using again. Um, I, my uh, former wife was starting to not let me see my kids and things like that. And I just let the, my emotions get the best of me. And, and because of my prior use, I just, I, that's what I turned to was substance. And so um, while we were dating, I started to, I went back to my doctor, got a prescription again for Adderall and Xanax and uh, Neurontin also, that's not a commonly, uh, as common, um, but that's similar uh, to Xanax. And um, just started using all those again. And um, I, I will say too, just like you were saying with, you know, the doctors, um, you know, it's, you don't want to place blame on any person other than yourself, but it is true. It's too easy these days to, like you said, you don't need to necessarily go to a psychiatrist to get, um, you know, those types of drugs. Um, it's very commonly prescribed in, in just a regular family practice. Uh, most doctors, they kind of understand that, you know, when you go to see a psychiatrist, your insurance may or may not take, um, you know, your insurance and you're paying, you know, maybe a 60 to $90 uh, fee for a visit. And so I think sometimes they're a little sensitive to that. And so, like you said, um, it's very easy to get. Um, Adderall is a little more hard to get, but the Xanax, you know, you go in and say you have anxiety, and that's a very commonly prescribed and very widely used um, prescription. Amount. It's really easy. Yeah, and, and definitely, it's, and it's all walks of life, too. I, um, you know, from housewives to professionals, um, Adderall is a very common one with college students. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, you know, very widely used. And I think for me too, initially early in my addiction, um, I didn't see it so much as a problem, uh, because my life wasn't affected to a great degree yet. And so, um, and you think, Hey, it's a prescription and not, it's not like I'm out shooting heroin or, or, um, you know, using cocaine or crack or whatever. And so I, I definitely found myself justifying, um, you know, thinking, hey, at least I'm not doing this, at least I'm not doing that. And I think that um, especially early on in the addiction, it's very easy to get caught in just a denial, complete denial, you know, just justifying left and right and um, just very just minimizing the problem, um, you know, to your loved ones. And and so for me, that was definitely the case. I, you know, I've had other family members um, that have used and, you know, we're doing things in, in my eyes that were a lot worse. And so 
I tried to make myself feel better thinking, hey, I'm just doing these prescriptions, no big deal. Um, little did I know how it you know, completely turn my life upside down uh, a few years from when I started. So, um, Christina, did you know that he was using when you guys started dating? Um, yeah, I actually, well, not in the very beginning. No, I, I knew it was history, but, um, I did, I did know when he started using, it started off like being weed and, and, uh, at the time I, I felt like, yeah, I was weed and drinking in the very beginning. And, um, at the time, like I thought it was just temporary because of the things that he was going going through. I didn't really realize how intense it was. But um, every time I prayed about whether we were supposed to be together, for some reason, I I felt like we were supposed to be together, not just for him and not just for me. It was like we both were going to learn something. And it, it didn't make sense to me because logically, you know, that's usually a red flag, you know, to run. <laughs> and so, yeah, I, I did know about it. Mm-hmm. So then at what point did it reach – a point, Kevin or Christina, where you guys realized this can't go on anymore. Like you said that you had gone to rehab before and you know that you've gone again. At what point was there a turning point for you or was it just a conversation? Um, I, I think, um, you know, let's see. Well, it, it, um, as it progressed and everything, like we, it got to the point where it was getting kind of out of control and we, we began living together. And, uh, he, he was trying to keep his job. And so I was trying to keep him like on track. It got to the point where I got really involved in just trying to like help him. And it was like, he was trying to get off of the, the pills. Um, but like every time he would try to get off, like something else would come up that was stressful and he'd get back on it. And so we would keep like trying different things like supplements and meditation and different things. We were, we were trying to get him off, but the detox effects were so, um, we're just so uncomfortable for him that a lot of the times he would go back to using out of fear of the detoxing that was going to about to happen. And so it it became this, like, I almost felt like we were a rehab facility because we were trying so many different things. We were researching different things. And, and so we would try different supplements that would help him to not have so much anxiety. So he wouldn't want to use, or that would minimize the detoxing effects. And, and so we kept going through this little game that was happening and, um, you know, while trying to keep his job and everything. And, and eventually it got to the point where he lost his job. And um, he had told me, if I can't get clean on my own, I'm going to go to the two-year program as much as I don't want to. Because um, in his previous marriage, that was actually an option they had talked about was a two-year program, but he didn't want to leave his three kids um, for two years. And so and at that point, it hadn't been as bad as it as it got before this last time. So at that point... Um, he had tried to get off on his own and we tried different supplements and everything. And, uh, what had happened is, uh, paranoia started to kick in as he was trying to get off of, uh, the Percocet. And so then it became this, um, you know, he would tell me he needs to go get Adderall or, or Xanax to go ahead and ease the, the detoxing effects. And so then it became this game of just getting different ones to ease his fear of how it was going to be coming off a of Percocet. And, uh, eventually got to this point where, um, he didn't sleep for five days. And he was staying up. He was staying up late and was paranoid that that people were trying to hurt us. And there was a parasite that was going on. I mean, it, it just went on. It it started off being legitimate that he had a parasite, but it because of the pills, it magnified the reality of it. And for five days, he didn't he didn't sleep at all. And we were at Sprouts trying to get him some calm. It's a, a supplement that helps with anxiety. 
And while I was inside getting ready to pay, he went out to the car to go grab something and he was taking a really long time. And so I went outside and I see all these people standing around him and he's laying in the floor or in the ground in the, on the asphalt and everybody's trying to help him get up and he couldn't get up. Wow. So yeah, at that point the paramedics came and, and they helped him and it was just really just from exhaustion, you know, not sleeping and he was dehydrated. And so um, we got him into the car and, you know, they took his vitals and he was fine. We just needed to get him home to get some rest. And on the way there um, to the house, he said, you know, he's like, I, I can't do this on my own. I need to get to a rehab. And so I remember wanting to take advantage of the fact that he wanted to go to a rehab. And we pulled up to my house and and uh, he sat in the car. I just told him to sit there because I was afraid he would change his mind. And I went in and just started packing his stuff. And um, we headed over to a rehab facility. What was the name of it? Uh, Community Bridges. It was Community Bridges. Yeah, we headed over there. And... Uh, it's a, it's a detox facility, and um, as soon as we got there, um, he started to get paranoid, and he thought that I was conspiring against him along with the people that were there helping, and he became, you know turned against me because of the paranoia. And so at that point, we were sitting and waiting for him to get his vitals taken so he could actually be admitted, and he was so paranoid he wouldn't let them take their, his vitals. And so we sat there for a couple hours, and he was just standing in the corner um, completely just out of his mind and uh, thought that I was trying to hurt him and harm him. And and so at that point I had left um, and I just decided to go home and get some sleep and something told me to go back. And as I went back, they, um, the cops were there trying to take him away because he had started to get more paranoid and things just got out of hand. And so from there, um, he ended up going to a behavioral place in Phoenix and they took him there to go ahead and help him to detox. It was a mental hospital. Yeah, it was a mental hospital. And so uh, that's when, you know, while he was there, I just was at home praying about what to do. And the thought of the two-year program is what popped in my head. But I was really afraid of bringing it up to him because I didn't know if he'd still be paranoid. And, and so his dad and I went to visit him. And thankfully, he'd been off stuff, you know, long enough to where he... He was a little bit in his right mind, and, and he was in complete agreement of going to the rehab. And I thought that we were home free from there. Um, you know, I thought, great, he's going to go to the two-year rehab and everything. And so I, got, I went home and made the plane flight arrangements, and it was Memorial Day weekend. So um, I, was, I was trying to make it, you know, past the weekend because we couldn't really get flights for cheap. And uh, those five days up until he left were hell. It was, that's when things got the darkest and um, because one minute he would want to go to the rehab and the next minute he would you know turn on me and um, be afraid that I was you know just gonna do something it was just anything that I was just gonna try to harm him or you know um, break some kind of trust in some way um, and so we went through this for the five days up until he was supposed to leave on a Tuesday and as we got ready to uh, go to the airport he said he wasn't going we went to mm -hmm. breakfast with his mom and he told us right before we were getting ready to leave that he wasn't going. And I was just thinking to myself, how can I go through another two days? <laughs> like, because his mom said, well, why don't I go ahead and reschedule it for Thursday, you know? And so she was kind enough to pay the extra fee for Thursday. And I'm just thinking, I don't know how I'm going to get through the next two days because the moods were just out of control. So at that point, Thursday rolled around. And, uh, and I remember waking up in the morning at 5 in the morning to get ready and... I knew if I said anything to him about going 
that um, that there may there may be a fight, and I would totally blow him getting on the plane. And so I prayed. I prayed so hard, you know, asking God like what He wanted me to do. And uh, the Spirit just told me, just pack his stuff as if he's going. And so he was still sleeping at this point. And as I'm packing his stuff, he got up and I hear him taking a shower. And I had such relief thinking, oh my gosh, like he's going to go. And so we, we ended up going through a little bit of arguments. But I just bit my tongue because I knew that if I, if I irritated him at all, that he would, he would just say he wasn't going. And his parents came over and we went and got breakfast and we're able to get him on on the plane and right before he left for his flight he he talked with a lady at Panda Express and told her that he was going to a two-year rehab and uh, she said good luck on your mission not good luck at your rehab you know not just general good luck good luck on your mission and that was something that really struck us because we've always known that he has a mission on this earth somehow to help others have hope and not give up on the possibility of recovery. And, and that's how he ended up getting to the two-year rehab. Wow. Kevin, how was that for you? And I want to know how it was for you going through that experience where you were on the asphalt and everything. And then I also want to know, like, deep down, if you were happy that she fought with you and happy that she wanted you to go do all those things or if you really truly like in that state of mind would have rather not gone down that path I guess I want to understand because I think a lot of us that don't have addiction want to know what we can or can't do to help somebody does that make sense yeah you bet um yeah for me I you know I, I think at that point um I was so sleep deprived and I, I think that's one of the main things with, especially the combination of Adderall um, and painkillers. Um, they both can, they really up your dopamine and, and they screw up your, you know, your sleep hormones and, and whatnot. So cause you to not sleep. Um, I think at that point, I, I didn't really want to go. And honestly, I, when I was in the, when I ended up in the mental facility, um, at that point, I really... I wanted to get help, but I didn't, I really just wanted to get out of the mental place. Um, and so um, at the time I was just kind of being manipulative and telling her, hey, I'll, I'll go to the two-year program. You know, I was just wanting to get, you know, busted out of this mental hospital is really what it was, is what was going through my mind. Um, and I knew that if I said that, that she'd come and pick me up, you know. And so, um you know, that's a big thing. Manipulation too. I'm, I'm unfortunately really good at it when I'm in my addiction. Uh, I think most addicts, you know, we learn how to get what we want and, and fool people. Um, and that's the tough thing is it's hard to tell. I think it's hard for her to know, um, when I was being genuine or when I was manipulating. And I think sometimes, you know, we as addicts, we manipulate people, even when we don't know we're doing it, we, we get in such a pattern of it and such a habit. Um, so I, yeah, I wasn't real big on, on going. Um, but I just knew that if I said that she'd come pick me up and, and, uh, get me out of this mental facility. And so, um, I think, yeah, when I collapsed on the asphalt in front of Sprouts, um, that was definitely, that humbled me, you know, that was a wake up call for sure. Um, but it, it's amazing how much you can go through and still not, you know, make the, the effort that you need to, to get help. And, 
Um, it did humble me enough to, to say I was going to go, at least, you know, in the past, I didn't even agree to it, period. Wouldn't even talk about it. It was just thought, wow, this is ridiculous, a two-year rehab, you know, whatever. And I think even a 30-day rehab is very scary. I know before I went to the 30-day facility, um, it was a really tough commitment for me. It's just, it's very scary, I think, for any addict out there that hasn't been to rehab at all. It's a, definitely a scary situation, no matter how long or short it is. Um, just the fact that you're going to be away from your, your drugs or whatever it is, away from family and, and that sort of thing. It's, it's definitely a tough, tough thing. Um, I think as people, if they've been to one rehab and maybe they've been to a bunch, you get more comfortable with it. But at first, it's definitely a tough decision to make. Um, but and then what else were you asking? Um, <laughs> I just lost my train of thought. I wanted to. Well, I don't remember. However, we'll come back to it if I do. I do want to touch on. Did you? So and just for everybody listening, all of the rehabs and the resources and the different things that Christina and Kevin are mentioning, they will be in the, the, um, the podcast notes. So if you're driving or you're not in a place to write them down, don't worry about that. We'll take care of that for you. And we'll make sure there's links for you. Um, Kevin, did you, okay. So at that time you were not excited about going to rehab. Now looking back at it, how are, how do you feel about it now that you're through it? Oh man, um, best decision I ever made for sure. It was, yeah, I, it, it wasn't easy, you know, being in rehab and, and, um, you know, I, I was actually there for six months. Um, but it was tough and, but I, I, I truly believe that, you know, in, in a lot of rehab facilities, they may have counseling and may have nutritional programs or different things that, um, you know, that can help you, uh, physically and, and emotionally. But I really feel the biggest thing that it does is gives you that brief clarity of mind that you need to kind of look at your life and be able to look at it, you know, from a different perspective, rather than while you're in your addiction, your, your view is so obscured of what reality really is. Um, that I, I truly believe the biggest benefit to the rehab is, you know, getting detox for sure. And then so that you can think clearly, um, because if you can't think clearly, you can't make, you know, good decisions. And I think that for me, that was the biggest thing is just to get a break and also to, to kind of get away, you know, out of my normal surroundings that, um, for me that there's a lot of triggers. And I know for other addicts out there, maybe you, drive by your, your pharmacy or, you, you know, whatever it is. And I used a lot of different pharmacies. Um, you know, it, there's just a lot of triggers, mental triggers for sure. And so I think getting out of your surroundings is, is a big part of it. Um, but yeah, definitely just the clarity of mind. And, and I'm very, very grateful if I hadn't, hadn't gone, um, when I did, I, you know, I, I maybe wouldn't be sitting here today for sure. It was, it was that bad. Wow. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of, you know, and I, I think sometimes if, you know, you're not able to afford a rehab facility, at least there's definitely some uh, detox facilities that um, I know uh, you mentioned that you're going to list in the podcast notes some different resources. Um, Community Bridges is one of them here in Arizona. Um, where Didn't you, you say that's free for the week? I, I believe Something so. Like I'm pretty sure I, I, I can't remember the exact... Um, you know what the qualifications are, but 
I, I'm pretty sure that they'll they'll pretty much take anybody. And um, yeah, I, I don't remember paying anything at all. So I'm I'm pretty sure that it's a heavily funded, you know, state program. Um, I'd have to and then the two year one. What was the name of that one? The two year program. It's called the John Vulcan Academy. That's V O L K E N, and that's in Vancouver. And they have one also here in Gilbert called the Welcome Home Ranch. Wow. And is that part of the same thing where it's $5,000 for the entire two years? Yeah, for yep. the two years, yep. That's incredible. Yeah, it's definitely, it's a, it's run by a man who just, uh, he has, you know, he's been blessed uh, financially and he started the foundation and there's actually a location in Seattle as well. Yeah, there's, there's three locations. They're all under the John Vulcan Foundation. Um, he made his money, he had a bunch of furniture stores and basically he sold them and took all the money and put it into, uh, this foundation. And so, yeah, there's a location here in Arizona, one in Seattle and one in Vancouver. Um, I do want to say maybe just a couple of minutes about the program there. Sure. Um, it's very different than any other rehab facility. Very, very different. Um, I think it's a very good program. They take people, um, anywhere from 18 to, I believe, 28 or 29. Um, you could check with them, but um, definitely a good program. Uh, they don't do a, a ton of counseling. They have kind of a group meeting every week where um, we as students kind of hold each other accountable for different behaviors that we see or different rules that we're breaking. There's a lot of different rules, a lot of structure there. Um, but mainly you spend your time uh, working in a, in a place kind of like Costco. It's called Price Pro, and it's just a big grocery store, kind of a warehouse grocery store. And so during the day, you work a normal, you know, eight to nine hour day. Um, and then after that, they have time to, they have a really nice gym facility, uh, weights and things like that. You get to work out, um, you have journal time, um, and just different activities. They have different outings like on Sunday. Um, but it, it's mainly a, a work program. It's, it's maybe a little bit similar to Salvation Army, um, but just a lot of hours uh, working. And it just really gets you in the habit of, of having a schedule. It's a very strict, um, you know, it's a very structured, I should say. Um, but the guy, he has a heart of gold. He really is trying to do some good things and has just taken his fortune and put it into these you know, these facilities. And, um, I really feel like for, for 5,000, I think it's maybe 5,800, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it's a really good uh, place to go for sure. And it, it, it does take time, you know, it takes time for your brain to heal. And, um, so sometimes people can do it with a 30 day rehab, but I would highly recommend, um, the John Vulcan Academy. Uh, that's it, great. Yeah. It was a great place for me. So, we will definitely link to that. And I do want to say that we are not getting paid by anybody to have this podcast. So this isn't, this is purely out of the goodness of Kevin's heart because he wants to help people that he's sharing that information about John Vulcan. Um, so how are you guys doing today? Well, today um, we're, we're doing really good. Today is a good day. <laughs> uh, since, you know, Kevin did plan on staying at the program for two years and he felt like he needed to come back after the six months. And that was hard for me because I had, up to that point, I had kind of planned my life around the two years. That was It was hard to emotionally get in that place where I was ready to be alone for two years. And so um, when he decided to come back, it was very, very tough. Um, and 
you know, once somebody gets sober, the, the behaviors are still there. Um, and, and at that point, that's just a start is getting sober. And so that's what we've been going through, you know, since the end of February is when he came back. And we've just been going through the learning how to be sober, um, you know, live and be sober process. And so there's been a lot of behaviors that we get to go ahead and work through. And, and then as, as the person on the other end, you know, I'm, I've been having to learn how to be different around somebody who's sober, who I haven't been used to being sober. Um, I have a lot of triggers myself and a lot of fears that stemmed from the behaviors that came about, um, you know, from the addiction. And so I've had to take a lot long look at myself as, as well and admit that I've been a codependent my whole life and I never realized it. Um, I, you know, I grew up in, you know, with a family that had addiction in it as well. And uh, so I didn't realize I was codependent until this relationship and Kevin has been so patient with me working through, you know, being patient, working through my um, changes that I need to make as well. And so that's what we've been doing over, you know, the last several months is, um, you know, working on figuring out what supplements work for both of us, you know, because we both went through a lot emotionally. My body went through a lot physically um, as well from everything. So um, one thing that's really helped us a lot is learning um, what kind of foundation to create for our day. You know, for Kevin, creating a foundation for his day has been super important. It's important for everybody, but especially addicts, because if you don't create that foundation, it's very easy to just let the day take take hold of you, and um, and all of a sudden you're using again or wanting to use. And so for Kevin, you know, waking up in the morning and praying, reading his scriptures, um, and doing yoga and meditation, those things have been so important to him. And I notice a big difference in him when he doesn't do those things. And there's certain supplements that help him because he's got ADD as well. So, so what are those supplements? Do you want to? Yeah, the, the supplements what? that he uses. Um, when he well, when we wake up in the morning, one thing that's been super important it's it's called proarginine. It's by Synergy, and um, it is amazing, especially for people who are um, coming off of drugs. Because um, Kevin, this wasn't the first time that Kevin detoxed from a big detox. So when we first got married. He came off of um, being addicted, yeah, for quite a while, and there's two different you know scenarios that happened during our two years, and he just started using arginine every time he wanted to use, um, and from that he found that he had more energy and he was actually able to get through um, getting the stuff out of his system quicker. So now we just we know that arginine is a good thing for first thing in the morning for him, and also taking a natural calm. It's a magnesium powder. And it helps with the anxiety. Um, and then those are the two main things he takes in the morning. And then one thing that addicts, you know, face a lot of too is having the depression after they get off of using. And uh, we found that vitamin D3 is super important. Um, and that's one of the things that you probably want to like, you know, talk to your doctor about as far as the dosage and everything. We, we got some information from his naturopath. Um, and then fish oils for the brain because your brain goes through a lot during the addiction and then for the adrenals, we found that ulethro um, helps. It's a form of ginseng. So those are the main things. And especially when um, people are coming off of the, the drugs too, they might have a hard time sleeping or be nauseous. And we found that ginger works for the nausea and melatonin helps for sleeping. And then um, while you're detoxing, the coconut water as well. So those things have been like the main things that we've used um, that have really helped a lot because... If you don't take care of yourself health-wise and nutritionally, it's very hard, especially if your addiction stems from anxiety 
or some kind of other, you know, root thing, even allergies, you know, allergies to gluten and stuff. That's something that Kevin can't have is gluten. It actually affects his moods big time. So those are the supplements that we used. And um, one thing that's really been a blessing is um, Byron Katie. Uh, she has a book called Loving What Is. And when even when Kevin was using, when he would get ready to use, I'd see him going to the bathroom and I would come in there and ask him, um, these three questions that Byron Katie uses to help you to stop and think about why you're using. And so you get to the root of what the belief is. And so she takes you through these questions and you can do it, you know, I, I would do it to Kevin and he would see why he was using. And he started to see that he was using um, based on things that weren't true. Yeah, I, I, I will say the Byron Katie, um, and one thing I wanted to say too to make sure to point out, I think it's important to, even if you can stop yourself for five minutes, you know, I, I literally would, you know, crush up a pill and then, but I would stop and before I would snort it or take a pill, um, Christina would come and, and use these questions um, to question what, what, what were my thoughts, you know, to kind of get to more of the root of why, why I'm using. Um, a lot of us like to use just because it feels good, but what? Why don't we feel good naturally? You know, what? What are the thoughts that are causing emotions that that then drive us to want to, you know, numb ourselves or whatever? And so I think it's really important. It sounds, um, you know, maybe uh, not like a big deal, but it it really made a big big difference for me to question my thoughts, to take a minute, you know, five ten minutes maybe, to wait until I use and to see. You know, hey, and, and I, I would actually feel a lot better. And sometimes maybe I'd decide not to use right then. Um, and so I think even though that's a small step, it's a really big deal for an addict to to not just go impulsively and take a pill or snort a pill. Um, I think it's important to stop, question what you're thinking, um, and you can kind of get to the bottom of, you know, well, why, why am I using? Why, why at this moment? What am I thinking about? Um, and so it just really helps you kind of get in tune with what you're thinking and why you're using. And so um, I guess you'll put a, put a little uh, note to where there's a, a link that you can put that um, will kind of show you what the questions are. You can print it out for free on her website. Um, and I think, too, you mentioned, you know, the guilt and shame. Um, I think that's really important, too, is, is for me... Um, initially, early in my usage, I really was beating myself up big time, um, overusing. And just once I was really deep into it, I um, was just so hard on myself that I thought, gosh, I can never, never overcome this. I'm just I'm going to be an addict the rest of my life. There's just no hope. And I think, as you mentioned, and the whole point of this broadcast, um, this podcast is to to give hope and. I think that um, it's very important to, to, you know, to keep hope and to have faith that, um, you know, really that God or, you know, whatever you believe in, this higher power um, can help you. And I think that that is really a foundational uh, thing for, for recovery is you have to keep hope and focus on light, uh, focus on things that make you feel good, you know, working out, if that's something you enjoy or yoga uh, meditation is big. There's a certain meditation that we like to do. We'll, we'll list in the in the podcast notes, um, and and also service. Um, for me, um, you know, if you look around, there's, you know, you can do service in your own home. I maybe clean the house for Christina or things, just simple things. Um, I think getting out of your own stuff 
um, through doing service is, is extremely important too because if you're just addiction is such a selfish thing to begin with um, if you can step out of that somehow step out of that mindset of serving yourself by using or whatever and only thinking of yourself you're always going to keep using and so I think simple acts of kindness simple acts of service are really important um, but I think um, a lot of people will focus on not using, but I think the key is to focus on light. Focus on, you know, if you're, uh, you know, if you're into the Bible, read the Bible, or you know, whatever your your book of choice is that's inspirational and spiritual for you. Um, I think, yeah, what? Not giving up. Yeah, just just not giving up, and um, I think guilt and shame are are I would believe are one of the number one reasons why addicts begin to use and why they continue to use and so I think really stepping out of that and just you can't beat yourself up and I know you mentioned you know with um, with addicts relapse is is definitely a, a big factor in recovery when you're you know if you have a, a week clean and then you relapse you, you just got to get up and keep keep pushing you can't you can't be hard on yourself you can't beat yourself up or else you will never um, ever get sober and so for me, I, I really, once I let go of the guilt and the shame of it and, and realized, and I think it's, it's sad, this isn't talked about more. And, you know, a lot of people want to, um, you know, be private about it. And, and, you know, certainly there's times when, you know, you don't want everyone to know you're using. But um, for me, it actually helped when people did know um, once the secret was kind of out. Um, and I think that can be helped by going to meetings and talking openly with people and being able to be honest. Um, that certainly helps because if you can't openly admit that you're an addict and go to, um, go to meetings, you know, AA or NA or, or whatever it is, um, there's a, also a, a meeting that we like to go to. It's part of our church. Um, uh, Christine and I are LDS. Um, there's a, it's called the ARP program. Um, anybody can go to it. They, you don't have to be you know, of the LDS faith, um, but it's a very good 12-step um, based program as well. Um, but I found, yeah, going to meetings, serving, and just focusing on the things that, that bring light, you know, serving people and getting out of your stuff. Um, and, and even when you're using, and I think that's key is, you know, you even when you're using, you still pray every day and you still pray throughout the day or whatever it is or meditate, however you, um, you know, prefer to worship. you got to do those things even in your addiction, even in, when you're in the worst of it. Um, you got to focus on those things that bring you light and bring you, you know, somewhat of peace in a terrible situation to get out of it. And just little steps like that can, can really help. I love that. That's all. It's good for all of us, whether or not we have addiction, we should pray and meditate and be in the moment and ask ourselves the questions like, what is it that I'm thinking? Why am I thinking this? Why am I feeling this right now? That awareness is so powerful. And I think also just being comfortable, being uncomfortable or being comfortable with somebody else that's in pain or uncomfortable. Our society teaches us that we're just supposed to be happy all the time or something. I don't know, but I think that you guys are onto some pretty big things just in life as well as with addiction. I'm excited to hear how far you've come. I think it's awesome. I think it's great that you want to help other people. I have one other question. What is one piece of advice that you guys, each of you individually, could give someone 
who's maybe in a lot of pain right now, maybe they're in Christina's situation where they love somebody that is in the depths of their addiction, what's one piece of advice that you could give them to help them get through that moment? Well, for um, for me, being on the, the end of um, you know, just being the, the person being affected by everything, um, the one thing I've learned is to love um, and to understand that the addict is doing the best they can and the only way that they can even have a space to grow and to change is by loving because the biggest thing that I had done in the beginning was I tried to tell Kevin what to do. You need to do this, this, and this and I would criticize all the time and it didn't help but what's been helping us since he's been back is that I am just loving him where he's at and that is hard to do when you care about somebody and you see all these ways of that they can you know, be better, you know, or maybe save themselves from a relapse. Um, I've noticed as I hold him capable of staying sober um, and just let go and love him. And um, it's not an, a conditional love, it's unconditional love. Um, he feels that and I've noticed that he's grown a lot more. So that's the biggest suggestion I would give for the family member that's on the other end or the friend that's on the other end. And I would say, um for me, just um, just kind of like what I said before is um, just don't give up. Don't be hard on yourself. Um, you really have to look at it kind of like a disease and, and maybe something that, you know, even though our choices may have gotten us into the situation, um, you know, we're not bad people. We're not, um, you know, we, we don't need to shame ourselves and we don't need to be shamed by others. That's That's really the worst thing that you can do to an addict is to, Kind of build on that shame and, and resentment of themselves that they already they already have within, and so I think just never giving up and and um, just like you said, praying and meditating and um, you know serving others um, and being honest with yourself about about the problem, but be accepting of where you're at. You know, accept, hey, I have a problem, um, but I'm not a bad person. I just I just have this problem that causes me to do bad things cause me to cheat lying still and and um but you know deep down I'm, I'm a good person and and um you know just really trying to love yourself even when you're in your addiction and just accepting it as as part of a, a struggle that you might have it's beautiful again great life advice for everyone <laughs> you guys i really appreciate it did you have anything else that you'd like to share no, no we'll just put it in the notes yeah, that's it. <laughs> this has been really awesome. I'm really excited that you guys are at this place in your journey. And I'm really, really grateful. I'm going to start crying. I'm really grateful that you're willing to share with um, myself and everybody that gets to hear this. One of the things that you said that touched me, Kevin, was that you wanted to help other people. And the last time that I saw my brother, who's passed away now, Last time I saw him, he looked at me with tears in his eyes and he's like, I just want to stay clean for a year. I have to stay away from my friends for a year and then I'm going to go back and I'm going to help them get clean too. And um, unfortunately, he passed away a couple months after that. And so I'm carrying that on for him and I feel like you're carrying that on for him. And I would just say, you know, I just love both of you. I really appreciate you for coming on and sharing your story. Well, we appreciate the opportunity, and it's a beautiful thing you're doing, Melissa. appreciate it. <laughs>
All right. A huge thank you to Kevin and Christina for sharing their story. If you want more information on any of the resources that Kevin and Christina shared, there was a couple rehabs, some supplements, a book. You can find the show notes at addictionsupportpodcast.com forward slash episode one. That's just episode in the number one. And you can, I'll have all the information for you there. Also, we are just starting out and in order for other people to find us, I need people to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. So if you liked what you heard today or felt that it was important or necessary, please hit subscribe on iTunes. And if you leave us a review, that would be helpful too. What happens is the more people that subscribe, iTunes helps put it towards the top of the list when people are searching for things. And then the other part of that is by leaving a review. If somebody searches on a word that you leave in the review or something similar to what you review about, then they'll go ahead and find us too. So that would help out a lot. And I've created um, a quick resource guide for you. If you're not sure how to do that, you can go to addictionsupportpodcast.com forward slash review and find out how to do that. So thank you so much. I look forward to talking to you next time. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Addiction Support Podcast. Addiction support for family and friends from people who've been there. www.addictionsupportpodcast.com Thank you.